This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. As the Reds are up and running for the new campaign, Liverpool serenaded by the travelling support on their way to a 3-0 win against the Canaries. Mohamed Salah needing just one game of the new season to make Premier League history. The Reds making a statement then on day one. Here to dissect, analyse and make their own statements on the showing at Carrow Road, we have our chief Liverpool writer, Ian Doyle, and Sean Bradbury as well. Doyley, was that... What you expected on the opening day from Liverpool? Well, no, because I thought it'd be too old, to be honest. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was a lot better than I thought. But I only thought that on the basis that obviously we kind of kind of expected Van Dijk would be back, and it might be a, you know a little bit tough for him with his first game back. And you had Simicast as well, but you know the pair of them played pretty well. Simicast was certainly encouraging, and. We, I kind of the midfield that they selected, but was it James Milner, Naby Keita and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain? I'm not sure anybody expected those three to be playing. Again, they pointed to it being a bit of a difficult afternoon. I mean, I expected it to uh, the, the atmosphere to be pretty decent. I mean, that's exactly what it was. You know, this was the first time Norwich had played in front of a full crowd at Carrow Road for about 18 months. So that was uh, made. It's actually really enjoyable, actually. It was, uh, it was good fun, actually. Um, but the game itself, yeah, Liverpool... The class, the difference in class, I should say, that certainly showed in the second half with the, the goals that they scored. I mean, you could argue the first one was a bit fortunate. There was a bit of fortune with the second one, but I'm pretty sure Liverpool, given what happened last season, deserved a little bit of luck to go on the way. But even Daniel Farke said after the game that there was no suggestion that Liverpool, anything other than a Liverpool victory, was what was how that game should have ended up because of the, you know, the balance of play. Norwich did. You know, they had a good go the first 20 minutes of the first half, a little bit of a go in the second half as well. Certainly the last 15 minutes, I think they were quite keen to to give the supporters who'd all turned up. Was it 27,000 who turned up a little something to celebrate? But the interesting thing was at the end of the game, all of the fans were just, you know, Liverpool obviously fans were obviously happy that their side had won. I think Norwich were happy on the, on the case that they were back in the Premier League and they were actually there able to see it because... Uh, Almost all of them wouldn't have seen any of the last season where they uh, got got up to the uh, you know got from the championship back up to the Premier League. So in some respects, some of them have missed absolutely nothing. So, uh, but overall, I think you know no injuries. Van Dijk coming through the ninety, as I say, Semikas having a good game. Sure, we'll get onto those in a, in, a, in a few moments. And the other interesting thing was that he went with Jota up front. He scored, took him off. Firmino comes on, he scored. Couldn't have asked for anything more from that. And then obviously you got Mo Salah who. Just once again, was that five in a row now? He scored in the opening day of the season. It's a, it's a Premier League record. And just generally, he was pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, certainly. Sean, in terms of looking at it and from the opening day perspective, it was kind of everything last season wasn't. One of the key themes, of course, last season was talking about injuries and which player had been struck down next for Liverpool. Thankfully, we've not got that to get into. But also the fact, how how many times last season were we saying, well, if that was in front of fans, Liverpool would have shown up, Liverpool would have done something. And it, it felt on Saturday as though they were just completely spurred on, albeit by an away crowd, but playing in front of them with, with an atmosphere, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was, that was a massive factor. Almost the, the feeling of those Anfield friendlies and how it enlivened the players almost felt like that carried into this weekend. And yeah, it was just from top to bottom, not just the Liverpool game, but the whole weekend. I just think it was it was great to say. I think I predicted 3-1. So I'm almost going to claim a moral victory there because Alisson's absolute heroics foiled me, um, especially in that second half. His, his, his triple save there, which was just ridiculous. But 
yeah, just just as a, as a game and, and as an opening weekend, I think this has all shown how much we've been missing for, for those people who like asterisks. I think last season you can stick a big one on, on City's title win almost because it just feels like a different game already, doesn't it? You know, the, the Reds in a way, but virtually every time I saw a goal over the weekend, no matter who it was, Burnley, Brighton, whoever, just found myself almost like celebrating along with with the roar that was uh, going on in the background. It's just it's just been great, and you know I think Doyle's pretty much covered all of it in terms of what what the the kind of overall impressive nature of Liverpool's performance was all about. But just enjoyed the weekend. I think one good thing that as well to come from what we've seen um, from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday was the referee. And I, I I do think it's it's been a theme already from like the snippets and highlights and what matches I did see, but. The VAR tweaks combined with this ethos of seemingly letting the games go a little bit more has added this a bit, a bit more of an edge to proceedings. And I don't know whether the crucial factor is going to be, as you say, guide the crowds being back or or whether it is what refs are doing. But just a very promising start to the season. And, and obviously, from a Liverpool perspective, getting a clean sheet and, and getting three goals was massive. You can see how much that clean sheet meant in the second half, couldn't you? When Simicast took a little slap to the chops from Milner for uh, a couple of errant moments and but yeah, it's just great. You know, three of the forwards on the score sheet already, and and Mane was very, very sharp and very dangerous anyway. So I think you know he can he can take a lot from the game, even though he was the only one of the four not to score. So yeah, um, just just the cracking start all round. That massive, I think, that for Liverpool to to get off to what I think you can say is a flyer, really. Yeah, I think that directive to allow football to be a contact sport again, as you say, with the referees, I think it ties hand in hand actually with the supporters because you get the oohs and the ahs of what they feel maybe should be decisions or not. Yeah. Surely you've travelled the, the length and the breadth of the, the country watching Liverpool and usually, bar last season, having the away fans there providing the, the, the sort of <clears throat> soundtrack to it all. It, it felt certainly second half as well where the away crowd are positioned sort of to the to the right-hand side of that goal that Liverpool were attacking. That It really sort of spurred them on even more and was sort of chanting Mo Salah's name just as that kind well, of one was won and, and when he scored. I'm glad you picked up on that because we did at the stadium. It's not the first time it's happened either. It happened against a couple of years ago when Liverpool played at home to Newcastle. The you know the goal where Firmino did the back heel and he ran round it. They were singing his his name then and he, he took that one away. So that was quite good. But yeah, you could tell the play. I mean, James Miller did an interview with the website, which uh, after the game, the Liverpool official website after the game, and um, that came out this morning. And he basically said the one thing that he loved was when they walked out onto the pitch. There was this huge noise. Because I've mentioned in the past, I mean, Guy, you know as well from having done games from behind closed doors, is that before the game, you can kind of kid yourself that everything's normal. They're playing tunes on the, the PA system. The players are going through the warm-up, this, that, and the other. You're talking between yourselves. And then they pop out. They pop out. Uh, sorry, they go back into the dressing rooms and they come out. Well, it's normally that huge amount of noise. It's just the minute that the anthem finishes or whatever it was, stops. It's completely and utterly silent. And it was the absolute opposite at, at Norwich. As I'm pretty sure it was at every single ground all the way, all the way through the leagues uh, over the weekend. And that's the big difference because suddenly the players, you know, the Norwich players, as I said before, were absolutely massively up for it in those first 20 minutes. I'm not saying they wouldn't have been if there'd been nobody there, but there's no doubt that they little extra spring in their step with what they were doing. And they gave Liverpool without really testing Allison until you know, until the end, as, as Sean said, but. They gave him some slightly difficult moments, but it was looking at it, it was probably the fixture that Liverpool would have wanted most out of all of them. I mean, Brentford at home against Arsenal. But funny enough, I think 
Brentford would have wanted. Sorry, guy, would have wanted Arsenal at home with the way things are going at the moment. For the you lasted, you lasted seven minutes, guy. Well, no, I didn't that. even mean to <laughs> do it. Did I? I didn't even mean to do it. I actually don't mean that in a nasty way. I mean it in like that was a kind of a, a kind of a game that Brentford were probably massively up for because they probably thought they could have got something from it. Same for Watford against Aston Villa. Norwich slightly different because you've got to also bear in mind that most of those players had already played against Liverpool in the Premier League just a couple of years ago, so and they knew what to expect. So that could have made it difficult for Liverpool, but it was that whole party. party it was a party atmosphere. I'm sure it was at all the other grounds as well. Certainly at, at Carrow Road, it was, and you kind of and you felt that, and it did make a difference to the way the game went. It was only when we were driving home, um, Paul Gore said to me. Did they have VAR there today? And I was like, oh, I didn't even, I hadn't, it hadn't even crossed my mind whatsoever that it, that it would be there. I thought, you know, I know it's very easy to have a goat referees, but I actually thought the referee had a good game, Andre Marino. That's something you don't hear very often on this podcast, is, is us praising the referee. But by all accounts, it's been, it was the same all, all across the country. I think, as, as Sean said, these new directives of, of allowing a bit of contact. It was interesting because there was one or two things. I think there was one where Salah went down in the box first half and there was one where one of the Norwich players Trent was behind him and he fell over in the second half and I would imagine had there been no crowd there players may have made it wasn't me who made this point this was I actually read about this uh, yesterday that because there's no crowd there when there was no crowd there players could make more contacts they could make noise and whatever up here and people be more drawn to it because with all the hullabaloo of all the people being there and fans aren't daft they know when something looks a foul and doesn't as, as, as you said guy if they're making a noise about it Perhaps maybe that can't sway the referee, but if they're not saying anything, the referee just go, "Well, that's, I don't think it's a foul. They don't think it's a foul. Play on." So I think there's a, there is an element of that. So it is about fans actually. You no, know, we've been saying it, haven't we, all the way for the past fifteen, eighteen months that you know fans are a massive part of football. They've been taken for granted, but I think we've seen over the past week, the past you know three days that they're not just there to watch. They actually interact. They take a part in the game. They play a part. They do make a difference literally do make a difference with the way the game goes and funnily enough with them there the games are all better already the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo let's get on to talking about mohammed salah sean and i mean there were some cryptic tweets sent out whilst he was putting in a stellar showing at Carrow road but saw a, a clip we've got sort of around on the, the, the internet and we put out on our social media channels of, of Ian Rush talking about Mohamed Salah and how he will be looking at trying to be the best player in the world or even sort of ending up as a real Liverpool legend. But my argument would kind of be he's probably already there, isn't he? Five successive opening day goals now for him and in every season he, he sort of seems to be the main man. Yeah, I think he's there already. I mean, I said when Juan Alden left that he was the first modern-day legend to leave the club. I think... You know, if we're giving Genie that kind of tag, albeit he's been there slightly longer than Salah, hasn't he? You have to give that to Salah. But yeah, I, 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 well, it was interesting. I was discussing this with a couple of lads after the game at the weekend. One of them actually was he was coming back from the ground uh, in a coach. Not quite sure his, his level of inebriation at this point, but he basically said <laughs> he basically said that um, Salah is now, in his opinion, the best Liverpool player of his lifetime. And you know, it's a slightly younger guy, so I suppose the only competition really would be. Gerard Suarez, you might want to throw Van Dijk, possibly Allison, into the argument as, as people who, who do their job to an exceptional standard. And that got me thinking. You know, I think I think Gerard's still the one, isn't he? He's, in terms of being the best Liverpool player, I think I've actively gone to the games and watched just for well, the level of his talent and the, the expanse of his career. I think Suarez might still have the argument to have to have had the best individual season. But 
Salah is is behind them and, and closing in on them fast. It, you know, it, it, it's one of them, isn't it? You come away from this game and you think it, it, it's almost existing kind of like two different spaces at the same time. That that felt like quite a typical Salah performance, but at the same time, he scored a, a, a you know, good goal, albeit one the keeper might think he could have got a little bit closer to, but I think he was absolutely done by that first touch, as was half the Norwich team. It was just sublime the way Salah found a bit of space and then popped it in, but two assists, okay, fair enough. One one a bit more intentional than the other. But, you know, like that is that is quite typical. I think, you know, an assist and a goal or you know, two assists and a goal in this case is something that Salah could save up pretty much every week or every other week. And he's just he's just an absolutely astounding player and, and we're so lucky to have seen him for this long. And as his agent tweeted, you know, um, every everyone will be watching that. You know, everyone in Boston will be watching that. Everyone across the world will be watching that. I think that this is one of the things I find so impressive about Salah. He is clearly a player who wants the individual glory and the accolades. And, and I say that in, in in no bad sense at all, because he somehow manages to marry that with also being a superb team player. You know, I think one of the most underrated aspects of him is, is, is his passing ability and his ability to find assists, carve out chances for players. You know, there's absolutely no suggestion he's he's selfish, but he is at the same time motivated by this desire to be the best and, you know, be right up there with Ronaldo's and, and Messi's and, I suppose now, you know, it kind of feels a bit like the torch is being passed, doesn't it? From Messi and Ronaldo down to the, the next generation of people who are the genuine handful of the world's best stars. And Salah's absolutely in, in that conversation. And yeah, you know, the, <laughs> the tweet was right. I mean, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not my money, it's Liverpool's money, but I don't think there's a price you can put on Mo Salah's talent and worth and value to this club and... I'd you know, almost pay him absolutely anything to get a few more years from him at Liverpool. Yeah, we know, obviously, that, that debut campaign he had, Ian, but in terms of his, his overall Liverpool league record now, 146 games, 96 goals. Some going, isn't it, now into a fifth season. It, it does sort of, bar that first year being quite as explosive as it was, even if you take that away, the numbers still stack up. Has he, has he now scored in a hundred different games? Is that one of the stats? I don't know for sure. I'm sure I saw that off the top of my head. Yeah, I'd imagine he must be there because he's yeah, his yeah. total records 126 yeah. goals in 204 games. So. Yeah, so it's not he can't be far off that. But uh, but yeah, I mean everything that Sean just said basically. Um, I think that it's funny you should mention actually about you know your mate and saying like oh. He's the best player I've ever seen for Liverpool in my lifetime, and you know you were saying that he, he could be up there with alongside Gerrard and, and, and Suarez. But I think it was, you know, I think it was during lockdown last year where I was having this conversation, and you know, where you're slightly bored, there's nothing else to do, and we were discussing what's your favourite, what's your best Liverpool eleven that you've seen, and even then I had him in it, you know, and I'm I'm nearly ninety years of age, so you know he's, <laughs> he's <laughs> probably not that old. Divide that by two. Um, but yeah, I think he was already up there then. And since then, he's been he was the one player last season who, who who kept his level, despite the fact people were saying he wasn't, which just annoyed me intensely. Um, and then this season, he started. I mean, he's benefited from a break, hasn't he? First time he's had a summer off in, I think, since, I think it's since he joined Liverpool, actually. Um, and you saw in, in, during the pre-season friendlies that he was looking sharp. But it is interesting about his contract. I mean, he's agent. He doesn't miss an opportunity, does he? Loves a little, loves a little wind up. He does. Um, was it Brighton at home last year when he was was brought off? Was that the game? I can't remember. He... Fulham, Brighton, Fulham is what. Yeah, it was no, what Fulham, he, he, Fulham he gave away the he gave away the ball for the goal, didn't he? Um, yeah. 
It was I, during the drought. I've just I've just tried to wipe yeah. the entirety of last season from my mind. To be honest, yeah. guy, I'll be honest. Um, uh, apart from the three 0 win at Arsenal, that was good. Um, <laughs> sorry, but <laughs> uh, well, yes, yeah, he's quite clearly Liverpool's best player. He's the most important player, and he's got a new contract. Hopefully, going to be well. Certainly, they're in negotiations over it. And by definition, he has to get paid more than every other single player at the club. Now we know that Van Dijk's just got a new deal, and he won't be on buttons. Trent, he became one of the <clears throat> one of the most highest played players at the club, as well. Fabinho, kind of, you would think they'd be the same. And I mean, again, I spoke to Jamie Carragher last week, and he said supporters have to realise that these contracts aren't cheap; they're actually worth you know, small fortunes. They are transfer fees in themselves. So. And Jurgen Klopp said it himself about Van Dijk. He said, imagine if we had to go out and buy this player, how much would he cost? And now we've just only had to only had to give him a new contract. But I do think Salah, is he a Liverpool legend? Yeah, he is now. Scored in the Champions League final, won the league, et cetera, et cetera, all these goals. And I do think that he wants to stay. I also think, where else could he go at the moment? He's not going to go to United or Chelsea or City. He's already been at Chelsea. So he's not going to go there. He's not going to go to City. You look abroad, he's not going to go to PSG because they've signed six million players for about 10 pence. Um, he's not going to go to Barcelona or Real Madrid because they have only got 10 pence. Um, and where else Where else he go? Where else? Juventus. Juventus. Well, they, they're still in that European Super League, yep. aren't they? So that kind of underlines uh, that they've not got any more either, does it? Yeah. Say, no, they're the only other big name, I suppose, you could throw out there. No, I completely agree with well, you. Well, that's it. I mean, and so. they... So it, isn't even, it doesn't even matter whether he does have anywhere else to go. He obviously clearly loves it, Liverpool. There's never been any suggestion he's been anything other than 100% committed to the club. You don't have to see that from his performances. Every single year he gets the goals, he gets the assists. So don't buy into the fact, as Sean said, that he's selfish. He's, he's not. You know, he likes to score goals. He's a forward and he does score loads of goals. So what do you expect him to be? Just to keep on passing it when he gets near the goal. If anything, sometimes I think he's he, last season he wasn't selfish enough. Should have had more shots because he was the only one that was scoring any goals. And you, you kind of saw that a little bit towards the end, didn't you, when he tried to set up Manny for his goal and he could have just gone yeah. on and scored. So, I mean, that does suggest that everything's well in the camp. Certainly well between the, the front three or the front four as it is now. We have to regard it as being that. But Salah... It's weird, isn't it? Because the better he plays, the more he scores, the more people are going to talk about his contract until it actually gets sorted one way or another. Can't see Liverpool. Well, actually, would Liverpool want it to go into the last year? But if you've still got a player who's 100% committed, and you know, well, why wouldn't you? But I mean, that's a long way off. Personally speaking, I think they'll get the contract sorted and they'll become the highest paid player at the club and everybody will be happy for about five minutes before he doesn't pass to Mane once and everybody says he's selfish and then we go again. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure that will will happen. But I just find it astounding, sort of, just how used we get to the level that Mohamed Salah operates. That's a very we've we've written that enough times. Haven't we? We've written that enough times. We've said it enough times that he's taken for granted in the way that it's weird, isn't it? I don't think anyone's ever taken Messi or Ronaldo for granted. But Salah, no, seems that was to a be, conversation I was yeah. having this weekend. Actually, Salah seems to, Salah about... seems to be taken a little bit for granted, and. I don't exactly. I don't actually know why De Bruyne isn't taken for granted. No. Although to be fair, he does suffer the odd injury, doesn't he? So when he comes back, you kind of appreciate him a little bit more. Maybe, maybe the best thing that could happen for Salah to be appreciated is get injured, just not play for a little while. I mean, and if, if, funnily enough, if we've written a story today about um, the whole FIFA directive on teams, have the countries, clubs having to release players for the countries, whereas last year, for the most part of last season, didn't have to because of the pandemic and the, the impact of this, that and the other. Well, as, as far as I'm aware, when we're, talking now, Egypt's on the red list. If he goes to play for Egypt, 
he'd have to quarantine in a hotel for 10 days when he comes back and he'd miss a couple of games. So that and that's next month. I mean, obviously, the way things have been going with the, with the pandemic, everything could change by the end time I finish this sentence, just the way things have been. That's we, We've kind of got used to that state of flux, haven't we? So in equities, it's an ongoing situation. But that might be an example of if Salah goes to play for Egypt, which he loves to do as well. I mean, he loves to play football everywhere, doesn't he, for, for, for all of the teams that he can play for. He wants to play in every single game. Um I do wonder if, if Liverpool is not there for a few games, whether perhaps he's appreciated a little bit more. Yeah, that's the final bit of the podcast. I was going to ask you about Doyle not. Oh, I'm sorry. I was having the chat with someone over the weekend about, they were saying about Lionel Messi's won six Ballon d'Ors. Could he make seventh? I thought well, sh- possibly not. I mean, he, he continues to operate at that level, but surely there are other players now really in their prime and said, what about Mohamed Salah? And it's kind of just a, yeah, well, he does what he does, doesn't he? But he operates at such a high level all of the time. Anyway, Sean, let's talk about the other forwards. And I know before the game here on, on Blood Red, we were kind of in the, the Roberto Firmino camp of him starting the game and away from home. Maybe that was going to be a speciality through this season. But Diogo Jota got the nod. Doyle's shaking his head. But Sean, I know you were in the Roberto Firmino camp anyway. But uh, yeah, uh, Diogo Jota got the shout. And I think through this season could well be the best thing for the two of them and even the front four as a sort of unit it that they're really going to have this fierce competition and it will be horses for courses yeah absolutely I think that it's kind of been a bit of a feature of Klopp's Liverpool over a couple of seasons now that there hasn't you know that hasn't really been that competition I don't think you know maybe you could argue there has been in midfield but elsewhere it's pretty much first choice players I, w- I would have said and then you know I actually, actually yeah, the piece went when Simicast signed and I've almost got this right but like a year late and kind of said he, he it feels you claim like it, Sean, you claim it. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it absolutely. Yeah, um, Harry Kane style, I'll, I'll claim anything, but it, it, it you know, that he was someone who was coming in to put direct pressure on Robertson. And I suppose at you know, similar ish time, Jota comes in and, and does the same up front. And it felt like a little bit of a necessary step that Liverpool needed to take with the squad, you know, kind of pre, prior to that, there were, there were extra players in the squad, and I suppose in a forward sense, there was. Shakiri, Origi, the likes of them who who were there and we're playing active parts. You know, we've seen what they've both done in Champions League and league runs in recent seasons, but weren't putting week on week pressure on those players. And you know, Doyle did a piece about this saying that that is exactly over the last couple of days, that's exactly what you're seeing with Jota and Firmino. And if you threw one more forward of you know, let, let's let's be frank, a higher quality than the other reserve options into the mix, you know, could it be even better? And I think that's an interesting argument, but yeah, it great to see. It's just great to see them all get off the mark, isn't it? You know, as, as I said before, apart from Mane, but I think you saw enough in Mane's performance to be hugely impressed and not quite to say that the dip he had last season is behind him. You know, there's, there's a long way to go to, to prove that, but I just thought, yeah, he showed everything, pace, strength, trickery, vision, all encapsulated in that one little moment where, where he burst down the left and crossed it in for Salah at the far post to almost scored what would have been the goal of the game, that that air volley that, that just whistled wide. But yeah, all, all of them all of them were good. And, you know, I think probably the hardest part of our team selections on this podcast every week is is going to be that forward line because they'll all be knocking on the door. And that that choice of Jota and Firmino every week is, is going to be so, so difficult. But that's exactly what you want to see, isn't it? That's It's Jürgen Kopp's problem and it's a good one to have. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose it kind of... Leads to a bit of a dilemma, doesn't it, Doyle? In terms of if there were to be a, a fifth world class option thrown in there, we see at Manchester City, for example, 
murmurings and rumblings of discontent around certain players now saying that they don't feel as though they're playing enough games. And given the traditional front three for Liverpool, Touchwood, don't seem to get injured, other than maybe African Cup of Nations and when Mane and Salah go away for that, or this quarantining you're saying that may well have to take place, it'd be difficult to, to keep five elite players happy, wouldn't it? Well, it wouldn't be an elite player, would it? I mean, possibly the fifth player, if they do get somebody in, but we've known this for a while, it would be somebody who knew they wouldn't be played every single week, but someone who perhaps could get to those levels, who was a bit younger. Certainly in the forward forward line, if Liverpool were to go in for a midfield, I think they'd want someone slightly you know, further along the line towards being the finished article, I would suspect. But in terms of the forward, you're right, because, I mean, they've tried that, haven't they? They had a Rigi there all the time, and, and, and it does look as though this time, even though he was on the bench on uh, on on Saturday and scored in the in the uh, practice game they had the following day against Aston Villa, they won four one at Anfield. I do think that perhaps his time is coming to an end. Although we've said that every single year since he's been here, to be honest. Uh, Minamino is an interesting one. I do think he could do something. The only problem he's got is, is in my opinion, his best position's on the left, and that's where Jota and Mane often like to play. And I think he's been a bit unlucky in the sense that I think. Jota has ended up becoming more of a left winger than I know he played down the middle, but I think I'd still end up thinking that he will end up playing more down the uh, down the left hand wing, and I think that's that's just tough on Minamino, who seems to do better there. So they do need somebody who, as I say, he's kind of of that standard, if slightly better, as Sean said, slightly better, but somebody who can then kick on again and someone who can provide a bit of um, a bit of pressure on the on the on the remaining forwards because while you mentioned only if you get five elite ones in. There's going, if Liverpool do as well as we kind of hope they are going to do this season, they'll play loads of games. They'll play Champions League games. This might be a season where they actually do something in the League Cup for the first time in a while. They could, you know, might even try to take the FA Cup a little bit more seriously, perhaps. I mean, that's obviously a bit further down the line, the FA Cup. The League Cup will be interesting because that starts in, I think, for Liverpool in mid-September like it was normally. Last season was, was a bit different where they played all the rounds really early on. And what you saw was that a lot of Liverpool players played in that who, they kind of wanted, not wanted to get rid, but it was kind of a bit of a, a, a you know, showcase for them, as if to say, come on, here they are. It was it Harry Wilson and Gruwich were two of them. I'm not sure whether anybody else went. I think Rian Bruce, Rian Bruce played in the Community Shield, did he? I think, yeah, he missed the yeah. penalty, didn't he? Yeah, so he's another one. So there is that. The games will be there for them. And also, you know, there is the, the African Cup of Nations coming up, what was it, in January, where they could lose three of the players, isn't it? Cater as well, yeah, along with Manny and Salah. And say these quarantine issues, we're not sure how that's going to get resolved. So there are plenty of games there for for, for players. And I think the, that's one good thing about uh, the games against Osasuna and Bilbao last week is that it showed that these players were, you know, they were ready. Up, they felt as though they were ready to come in and do a job. And we saw that Oxlade-Chamberlain managed to do that. Milner managed to do that. Uh, Simakas, obviously a bit different. He had to do that because of Robertson's injury. And, you know, Jota... Got the nod, as we said before. Firmino, come on. He responded. You know, it couldn't have gone any better in that regard. But that's exactly what Liverpool would want with the forward line. But I do think that if they do bring somebody else in, I think that it would probably be a forward if they can get one. But it's not going to be easy. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Doyle's moved us on brilliantly there, Sean, in terms of talking away from the forwards to the rest of the, the team as well. And that was, for me, the big thing when the team you dropped in was the midfield three, James Milner, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Naby Keita. We'd all sort of put Fabinho in there automatically, but he was on the bench. But the three of them ended up doing well, albeit I don't think 
those three would be in sort of what you would label the first choice midfield three? No, and I think what I took mainly from that was was the performance of Cater. Really, I I thought he was certainly in the first half until Fabinho came on later on. He was the most composed midfielder by a distance, the man who knew his job and executed it most successfully. As I said, I felt a little bit for Ox because the way the game developed, Liverpool did a lot of attacking, a lot of their attacking down the left hand side. I think by by the end of the game, Simakas had eighty odd touches and Trent only had sixty odd, which is you know you'd normally expect him to be the Fulcrum of the attack, especially, you know, compared to Simicast, who's only just come into the team. But yeah, you know, Simicast and Mane linked up really well. So there was a lot going on down the left-hand side for Liverpool. And I suppose Norwich, in their own way, were attacking down that side a bit, weren't they? With Campwell trying to get Pookie in down there with balls over the top. So, you know, I felt Ox was a little bit anonymous, but maybe the way the game developed played a little bit of a part in that. And, you know, Milner, Milner kind of did what you'd expect from James Milner, albeit he was fundamentally out of position, wasn't he? I don't think he is a... Really, his his traits are to be in that deeper midfield role. He's much better of one of the two shuttlers on on either side of Fabinho. But Keita, I just thought this was the first flash I saw this season that has put my biggest worry not to bed, but I started to tuck it in slightly, should we say? And that's avoiding um, sorry, filling filling the well, yeah, well, well, filling, the genie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> filling, filling that genie wine album void. I, I just think like if Keita's not going to be the full answer to providing. 3,000 minutes in that position. He's He can at least be part of the package, as you guys say, if he stays fit. But I just think the performance was was composed. It was like, whether this was an instruction, I imagine it was an instruction, to kind of do do the basics and do what GD1 album does. And then those little creative and expressive moments that, that Naby Keita has, and perhaps that we all envisaged he was brought in to do and provide straight away when he did arrive. Those They were few and far between, I'd say, those flourishes, but they were there. You know, there was... He could have had an assist for that shot ahead there when he chipped that nice little ball in with his left. But just in general, I thought it was a balanced and composed midfield display. Josh Williams has just done a piece actually on Cater and this issue of whether he could be the answer in the absence of Wine Album now. And some of the stats in that were quite telling. I think he completed something like 41 or 42 out of his 44 attempted passes. And that was the highest pass completion rate of any Liverpool player. He attempted the most pressing actions of any player. And, you know, I think he went off on what, 82. So, you know, Others have a little bit of a of jump on him there in terms of being on the pitch longer. Completed the most tackles as well, I think, of any player. So there was a lot to like in his performance, albeit in quite a quiet and understated way. But I think there's something really there for him to build on in that left-sided position. But as we always say, what that now requires is, is a run of games and a run of games in which he, he stays fit, doesn't get a setback, is able to settle into that team. But yeah, really impressed by it. And, you know, I, I say that when we did our team selections, my whole thing was... I think the left-hand side will need help because Van Dijk's returning and Simicast is new. And, you know, it's a inexperienced and kind of novel left-hand side that Liverpool haven't really seen before ever. But Cater, in his own way, I think played a massive part in helping them get through, which again could be another reason why he was maybe on the leash a little bit. But yeah, I, I think that's wouldn't quite go as far as to say it's his best performance in a Liverpool shirt, but it's one of his most impressive in an understated way and plenty to build on there. Yeah, he's always there on the opening day. It's if he's there on Boxing Day for me with Naby Cater in terms of that that fitness. But it, it is one of those, isn't it? Jurgen Klopp's kind of wanted him and tried to get him into his team when he can. But now he kind of needs him. It is going to be sort of seeing if he, he can step up because numbers may be not what they were, especially in terms of availability with 
Jeannie Van Adam having moved on. But Dolly, I said to, to Sean there, I suppose those three aren't in the, the first choice midfield three back in the day, two seasons ago, as it were. It was Henderson, Fabinho and Wijnaldum. We knew what the midfield three was going to be for Liverpool. I get the feeling this season, maybe due to the injuries that Thiago Henderson and even Fabinho seem to pick up on a fairly regular-ish basis, that it is pretty much going to be a, an engine room full of change throughout the course of the season. Well, well, to be fair, under Klopp, I know you. I know what you say. If there was a Champions League final tomorrow, we know what the, the, we pretty much know what the midfield would be. But Klopp has always changed things around the midfield. He knows that's the area of the team that needs the most legs, expends the most energy. You know, it, it, entirely. He knows that he can rely on the front three and, and whoever he wants to play at the back four. We kind of know more or less who they're going to be, but. He can change things around in in, in the centre. I think with Cater, what was interesting is that he, he did half of what he's been brought for. I mean, what Sean said then about the piece that Josh has written, his pressing stats, and you could see that just from watching him in the first half. In particular, he was getting in the faces. And I think he was part of the reason why Billy Gilmore didn't really have possibly the impact in the game that perhaps he did when Liverpool played, say, Chelsea in the FA Cup last year, um, where he had a decent game. And that was the first time most people... Had, had, you know, he comes to people's attention, but Liverpool did a good job on him. And yeah, I think with Milner, it was interesting. The first 20 minutes, when, as I say, Norwich were running around at a million miles an hour, he was the game just passing him by. But when you then watch the highlights, the first two goals are like the second or third pass before the actual goal itself is Milner. First one, he's the one who spreads it across wide to Trent to set him away. And the second one, he's the one that sets um, Firmino down the wing. To, to go running off and then, you know, obviously starting with, with the whole Mane salad and back to Firmino thing. So it's interesting, isn't it? People sometimes, were, I know people were complaining, saying, why is James Miller in the starting lineup? This is 2021. But that's why he's in it, because he can do all these kind of things. I mean, you know, as Sean said, defensive midfield isn't his role. Certainly not in a one. I think he's if he's in a two, if he goes to four, two, three, one, he's got somebody next to him. I think that's a decent position for him, actually. Uh, I think if Liverpool do go to that, I suspect he may get that's how well we might get quite a few minutes, actually. But going back to Cater, it is just about the injuries, isn't it? You know, for a fact that well, they're playing Burnley next game, and Burnley actually was one of his was one of his better games away from home during the first season he was there. I remember he played in a two and a four four two. At the time, we were like, "What's what's happening here?" And he ended up having a really good game. You, he's not he's he's not shy putting himself about. He wasn't getting bullied by by the Burnley midfielders. Obviously, the personnel's changed somewhat Burnley since then, but and Liverpool won't be playing four four two against them, that's for sure. But that was a sign that he, he can do it, but he needs to be more robust in terms of his his actual, you know, his fitness, his phys- yeah. fitness and durability. Because you know, as, as has been said several times now about Wayne Eldon, is that one of the most underrated things for him is that he was actually available all the time. If you're a great player, it's you can be, you know, great players about as good as me if they're not playing. And you wouldn't wish that on any of these footballers, I'll tell you. Yeah, I don't think it was an underrated quality of Jeannie Van Elton, so it to be fit. We all we all knew it was there. And well, it was, was well, it was one okay, it was one word last season, it only really came out, didn't it? When he literally was the only player that was actually fit. But before yeah. then, suddenly people realised, hang on, he's always here. He's always Sorry, here. Sorry, Donnie. I just wanted there. I just wanted to do a you and pick up on what someone said there and just uh, just take them to to task a bit on it. All right, anyway. no, okay, okay. Well, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll come back to you, actually, Dorley, because you asked Jurgen Klopp in the press conference after the game again, again about uh, Virgil van Dijk and mm. Kostas Simikas. And big for van Dijk to get through the 90 and Kostas Simikas to finally get his full Premier League debut. 
Yeah, the thing about Van Dyke was quite interesting. I can't. Did he even run at any point? Did he run? I, I can't remember. No, seriously, I can't remember. Ball, him go. Ball, I think it was second half, uh, maybe first half. Ball put over the top for Pookie, and he just like seemed to turn and just struck back, just thinking, "Yeah, the, the lads have this covered," and not sort of put on the afterburner. That was the that team. was the shot, wasn't it? That's the yeah. one where they had where he had the shot. Yeah, so he was right because obviously he, he, Allison was quite a simple save, but. There was one bit in the second half as well where I can't remember the name of the Norwich substitutes. He knocked over Matip and then sent Van Dyke flying. I was thinking, wow, you don't see that very often. Um, so obviously there's a little bit more to come from from uh, from Van Dyke, but he was taking it reasonably. I know he's a laid back kind of player and a laid back person, but you can tell it meant a lot to him after the game. He was all smiles, you know, waving to the the away fans, and you could tell he was very very pleased to be back. And Liverpool just looked a uh, okay. It was only 90 minutes, but. You could. It's funny, isn't it? You watched it and you went, ah, oh, because you kind of you had that kind of relief that oh look, there's Van Dyke and there's Matip and Norwich are on the attack and I'm not worried that they're going to fall over or do something absolutely ridiculous or slice one. Even though invariably every defender does exactly the same thing, but it's about perception, isn't it? They've earned the reputation. Certainly, Van Dyke's earned the reputation over so many years, and certainly since he's been at Liverpool. And uh, yeah, I think I think. It's, it's, he, need, he probably needed the minutes because I think they need him for Chelsea, and I think it's good. That's probably why they put him straight in because that Chelsea game, even though it's near the third game of the season, is going to be reasonably important. I can't see any reason for Canati to come in just yet. I think Matip will stay there, provided Matip stays fit. And with it only being one game a week for the first few weeks, I think hopefully that should be fine. And it also gives Canati a little bit more time to perhaps work alongside Math, uh, Van Dijk. Sorry, on the on the training pitch. So. It's good in that sense. Uh, Simicast kind of built on what he did in in the summer. We all knew he could cross a ball. What was interesting for me, there was a section of play in the first half where Norwich were, the ball kept on coming back to Liverpool. They couldn't clear it. And three times in pretty quick succession, um, Simicast came from off the left to cover to a central area to clear it. and But he actually managed to clear it properly with his correct foot, as in his left foot. And he managed to get out of danger, whereas some other left backs that Liverpool may have had in the past may have ended up skying it or shanking it or slicing it towards their own goal and causing even more panic. So from well, he did get a slap from Milner, as Sean said. Um, that was more to kind of wake him up. Klopp said, didn't he? He said afterwards, I don't know what happened in the last ten minutes. Someone pulled the plug on him. But that's an example of what what he needs to come up because it's such an intense game. And and I don't want to say it was only Norwich, but. There are going to be a lot more intense games than Norwich for, for Liverpool, certainly that Chelsea one. So it's it's building up, and I'd imagine Burnley will be another interesting test for him. Yeah, having Van Dijk and Matip in front of Alisson, it was like slipping back into an old comfy pair of, of slippers as well for Liverpool, wasn't it? Kind of, You weren't sure how they were definitely going to get through or get on throughout the course of the game, but everything was fine in the end. Sean, before we go then, let's talk about the other sides, Manchester United and Chelsea. Doyle's referenced it there game to come after Burnley both getting off to winning starts as well and Manchester City nice little surprise losing to uh, to Tottenham on Sunday yeah I, well start with start with the ones who won I, I I do think I mean we've said this on a few pods already but United's recruitment has been has been good I think the fact that Bruno Fernandes is scoring goals from open play for them not that he never does it but that's a concern and you know there was lots there to build and I do think I watch bits of it Leeds were naive at times and were the best version of themselves, but there's no way that you can't say that was impressive from United. It absolutely was. And when you're bringing Sancho off the bench, Pogba's looking 
as sharp and as dangerous he has been for a while. You've got Varant <laughs> coming to the side. There's others, wasn't there? Cavani wasn't there. It's hard to see how they don't improve on what did they get last season, 74 points. I think they'll be above that this season. They'll be turning some of those draws into wins. I absolutely love as well, I can't deny, Mason Greenwood. It's just that was such a good finish. Someone put on Twitter that it reminded them a little bit of Robbie Fowler and can't really deny that. It's just, it was just a lovely, lovely goal. Um, and he's one of those youngsters, even despite who he plays for, you can't help but warm to him a little bit, I think, and be impressed by him breaking through. So, yeah, he was very good. Chelsea, yeah, I, to be honest, I only saw the highlights of them, so um, not as much to say, but obviously very encouraging that they're swatting away lesser lights with seeming ease, even before Lukaku comes in and gets involved for them. So, you know, they will be a danger. But, yeah, City, interesting. I mean, I suppose we can't get lulled into too much of a false sense of security because they did have a poor start last season, didn't they? It wasn't really till just before Christmas that they really started rocking and rolling just at the same time as Liverpool fell off a little bit. But I suppose the one thing that you can say should be different this time is that they won't get a free ride at the front like they did in those circumstances last year. I mean, you know, you've already got Liverpool, Chelsea and United who've made a fairly firm statement albeit City did have clearly the most difficult game of that quartet of teams who everyone expects to challenge for the title. But the other big thing is is the return of fans, isn't it? I mean, you know, Carragher made that point as soon as football started going behind closed doors and we all didn't want to think that he was right, I think, as Liverpool fans, but he said this will suit City the most. It'll be mechanical. It'll, you know, play to their strengths and their style of play. And I think you, you did see that last season. There's no doubt in that. And then already, potentially, you've seen them you know, come under pressure, despite the fact that they were on top in the game and, you know, should have scored at least one and and lose away to, you know, a team who obviously are very good, but we're depleted. So, yeah, I think there, there's a recipe there for things not quite going right for City, potentially for a few weeks to come. Obviously, I, will, I do expect them to get their act together and they're, they're one of those teams that once they start going on a run, it could last for most of the season, couldn't it? I mean, look back to last year, pretty much went on from Christmas to March, didn't it, where they were just imperious and won virtually every game. But yeah, un- uncertainty around Kane doesn't help either, does it? I mean, I don't quite know how that one's going to pan out, but neither do the squad, I imagine. You know, it doesn't sound like it's a deal that's done by any means and, and, and will drag on. Seems like Kane's been named in Spurs' squad for Europe, doesn't it? So, you know, there's still things to be resolved there. But yeah, I think a, a glorious opening weekend in general for football and results-wise, went pretty well for Liverpool, certainly in the case of City. Yeah, definitely. Glorious weekend. Liverpool winning, City losing. Yeah, no goals in their two games, including the Community Shield now. If only there was a a centre-forward out there, they could potentially buy. Anyway, we'll have to leave it there. We'll pick back up on Friday as we preview Burnley's trip to Anfield, the first game in the Premier League of the new season at Anfield. But from myself, Guy Clark, Ian Doyle and Sean Bradbury, thanks for joining us here on Blood Red. That's all we've got time for. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.